Ephesians 1, 16 through 23, talk about how Jesus has been elevated by God um, to, to the right hand. And uh, all everything uh, is under subjection to him. Uh, at his name, um, we know that every knee will bow. And his name is above all names. Uh, in Isaiah 52, verse 7, a God, our God reigns. And so that, that impacts us, right? That impacts us in how we view God and our behaviors toward him. And we are in Second Corinthians 5, 6 through 9, our aim is to please the king. And it is only through his revealed will uh, in the Bible that we understand what we are to do and how we are to do it. First uh, Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. And so then as we as individuals come together as this, this family here, that we're going to have all humi humility and gentleness with patience, putting up with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace so that together we can grow in faith and knowledge in Christ from Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Um, before we get into prayer, just a couple things I wanted to mention about Last class, I, I know, I recognize that some were um, maybe frustrated or upset, bothered by the pace that the last class uh, went at. Um, I would say a couple of things. Number one, um, so in preparation, I'll, I'll just be quite, just want to be fully transparent. Um, I've talked to many different people about what we're trying to do together. And, well, you know, someone who I, res not anywhere in this area, but someone who I respect greatly said, the first thing you should expect is that people are going to leave. And that strikes fear into my heart. And, um, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that uh, as we go into the study that we kind of leave with no regrets. And so that's why I want to be very purposeful, very methodical about um, the approach that we're taking. And, and it's, not, it's not an approach that I came up with. Um, it is uh, from the counsel of, of many different people uh, via conversation, via uh, books, um, via, via other research and so forth about um, some of these, what I would think are maybe foundational things that we need to make sure that we are just on the same ground and we are approaching these things from the, from the, same, from the same spot. Another individual has gone through a study similar to this and kind of fast forwarded to the, to the maybe some of the more controversial parts in it and it, it wrecked the congregation. And I just really want to avoid that. And so that's my motive. I just want to let you know that there's no other motive other than I just want us to understand the scriptures and as Ephesians 4 talk about, we have the unity of the faith. That's what we're striving for. And so um, if, um, again, uh, last class was not perfect, I would do it differently. But as we go through this, if you find yourself getting um, upset or bothered, I would welcome you to provide that feedback to me, talk to me. Um, I would also ask that you just... Uh, uh, bear with me in love um, and be patient and gentle with me as well as we endeavor to do that. So I'm going to stop rambling on that. Um, Paul, if you would lead us in a prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you, thanking you for giving us the day. We thank you that we can spend time together in your word because we know that is what you want your children to do, to look into your word, to seek your heart. Uh, to see how they could live and be more like you. And especially on this subject, as we look at the finances the church can use, as we look at the authority behind that, as we look at the relationship we have with each other, 
Help us to keep your goals in our minds uh, and help us to be humble. Help us to be patient. Help us to realize that we're not all going to agree and to focus on showing the faith and the unity that you want us to. Help us as we disagree. Help us to think the thoughts we should. Help us to be patient. Help us to show love to each other. And as we study, help us to see what you want us to see. It can be easy for us to come in with biases. Help us to remove those biases and see simply what you want us to do, how you want us to act, and give us wisdom when it comes down to principles that we have to make judgments on. Help us to see your heart in those principles and help us to seek your way above all else. Whatever we may think or whatever others in the group may think, help us to seek you above else and show the love that you showed us to the brethren around us. Be with us as we study, and in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so I did uh, send out uh, a rough outline with some scriptures and some questions. I hope everyone was able to see that. I hope that was helpful. I will say that... um, some of those, the, you know, some of those passages we're going to go through, they'll be on the screen. Others, um, I'm just going to assume that people saw the email and read it. Um, and so I think that might help uh, with, uh, with the pace just a bit. Um, I want us to be, th- so we're going to be thinking about, again, how do we understand God's word? And I really want us to think about, as we go into this, some homework for next time. I will send this out, or I'll have Chris, Chris send this out a little bit later, so don't worry about copying this down. But, um, you know, I want us to be thinking about, uh, can, you know, the, there's several passages here that deal with the local church contribution. There's going to be some other questions we're going to deal with, but, okay, so as we're thinking about uh, some of these passages that are familiar with us about, okay, how does the local church um, use the funds that are collected on a weekly basis, um, how should we start to interpret and apply these passages? Uh, can we identify patterns that are going to provide us guidance or help in understanding what we are and are not to do? And so I want us to be thinking about for the next time, what are the ways in which we are authorized to use a contribution? Are there things that are out of bounds or unauthorized in, in uh, ways that uh, we, we could use the contribution that would not be with the authority of God? Um, a couple of passages that don't necessarily deal specifically with the local church contribution, but I think are relevant to our conversation, are James one twenty seven and Galatians 6, 9 through 10. And so in light of church contribution and those passages about doing good and helping widows and orphans, um, you know, how do those work together? Um, and, and how should we understand what our, uh, our responsibility is relative to that? Uh, I want us to be thinking about, as a local congregation, are we able to support other institutions from the contributions? Can we, as a local congregation, can we have a building? These are some of the questions that were, were asked in the feedback that we had provided. And I want us, um, we're, you know, we're getting to the point after the study where we're going to start to dive into those. So, um, again, we'll send this out uh, afterwards. All right. Um, we talked a little bit about this last time. We got uh, at the very end about how all communication works. And so what we, what we talked about was you can either tell someone, you can show someone, or you can imply. Um, and I think I used the work example. So uh, when I was new to, to my, my job, um, 
How is it that I understood what are those things that I need to do in order to be successful? And, you know, I, first of all, I listened to what my boss said. He told me what to do. Um, there were certain things that uh, he showed me. I just learned by example um, how he conducted himself with different people, meetings. Um, he would show me, very literally show me how to use systems and processes and things like that. The third thing that he did was that he would imply things, and I would pick up like nonverbals. I would pick up just how he behaved himself in, in front of certain people, and I, the implication of who that person was relative to him, that changed my behavior, right? Um, and, and so we, we see this, and this is, this is really foundational to all communication. All communication happens this way. Um, we do this with one another. We do this with, with our, with our, our kids. We, this is just how, how communication works. One of the questions I think I asked in the email was, so of those three methods of communicating, which is maybe the most uh, controversial might be uh, a loaded word, but might be the one we struggle with the most or have the most questions about. And why do you think that is? Do we? I mean, maybe maybe we have no problem with any of these. Yes, Katrina. Um, oh, yeah. Go ahead and say that again. Um, I would say implying it because it takes reasoning and thought through more than just one specific scripture that lays it out. It's putting right. it all together. So implication, because we you know we have to apply our own thought, our own reasoning. Uh, when something is, is presented and make our conclusions. Leanne? I think maybe this is a combination of showing and implying, but in regard to our children, sometimes it seems like I've implied something over and over again, and yet, you know what? They don't have a clue. So implying leaves so much room. I think she used the word interpretation for interpretation that um, maybe it is... I mean, I've had to apologize as a parent for you know saying, you know what, I thought you were going to do that because I thought we had implied it, but we never told you. Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's a difficult thing to do. Right. Yeah. Implication leaves room for interpretation, um, and I think part of the uh, part of the challenges we have is that we are like we're we're fallible in our communication. Like Leanne said, sometimes we think something was implied and it really wasn't. That happens at work all of the time. Um, and so what I would, you know, one of the things I want us to think about is some people then take the, the idea that God implies things for us and they kind of throw it out um, because, because of those challenges. And so what I would want us to consider, though, is, and we're going to look into some very specific example of, of how God does use implication for us to draw conclusions on how to, to act, um, that I think a lot of the challenges that we have with implication or the, the feelings that we might have um, is not necessarily about implication, but about abuses of implication. And so if you are having a disconnect with, you know, is implication a valid form of communication that God uses, we might want to think of it in those, in those terms as we go through this, that it's not necessarily implication doesn't exist or it's not valid, but it, it is subject to, to abuse, right? Chris. 
Yeah, we, cer we certainly can't get rid of inference because I think it is very important in the other two as well. Mm -hmm. Because even if it's a command, we have to decide if it's to us. I mean, a, a command is basically an imperative, a statement. Any statement is a command. Mm -hmm. But you can read all kinds of commands in the Bible, and we just summarily discount most of those statements because they're not talking to Christians or to us or they're not or they're contradicted in some other teaching you know what I'm saying so there's always an inference in every one of those methods mm -hmm. so we can look at something that's shown and we have to decide is that something we should mimic is that was that applying to us or not so that is very important in all of them oh yeah I would say also what we you know we, you know this these letters that we write were written to an audience, but they are written for us, right? And so we have to apply those passages to our context today. And so that might, um, how we, you know, take the, the command, the example, the necessary inference, how we apply that, right? We need to use wisdom and discernment uh, when we do that. One of the things I want us to think about, though, just by way of, you know, we know this, but, you know, when we communicate, there is an imperfect source communicating to an imperfect receiver. Um, God is perfect, right, in his communication. His communication is thorough. It is complete for every good work for us. So the, the, the side A of the, the, the communicator, there is no problem there whatsoever. That is perfect. It is intentional as it is. And so um, we think Second Peter 1, 3 through 4 that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And so, um, you know, just reflecting upon when we think about uh, these ways in which we understand the things that we are supposed to be doing, it is coming from a, from a perfect source. All right, and so, um, so the question then is, okay, so all communication we're saying, I'm saying, and I think we're in agreement, is through, you know, telling it, showing it, applying it, uh, command, example, necessary inference. Does COD communicate through the same or different methods? And so um, I want us to think about um, Acts, the 10th chapter. Um, and I think this was one of the questions that was sent out was, um, when we think about Acts, the 10th chapter, uh, I, I think we're familiar with that being the conversion of Cornelius. The, the Gentiles now are able to be baptized and be part of the kingdom. And again, I, I hope that everyone has read that 10th uh, chapter. What are the ways that we see God communicating um, to, I've, on the slide I've got Peter, but Peter or Cornelius um, to, for God to communicate that, yes, now Gentiles should be accepted into the kingdom. There was a vision that was shown to Peter uh, with the sheet coming down from heaven with the clean animals and unclean animals and God saying, what I have made clean, no longer consider unclean. Mm -hmm. So God showed him, showed him a vision, the sheet coming down with the, with the animals on it. Tommy? Still, before what Mitch mentioned, which is so vitally important, what Mitch said, but but... Cornelius had the vision to send for Peter mm -hmm. 
then for Peter has the vision that rise and eat. He says, not so, Lord, as, as Mitch related. And then when those men come to Peter's house, um, the Spirit says in verse 19 and 20, go with these men without misgivings. These men that have come to you, he doesn't know they're from the house of Cornelius yet, but he says, these men who are coming looking for you, you go with them. You don't ask any questions. And so the vision to Peter, the vision to Cornelius, the vision to Peter, the statement to Peter all prepares for his conclusion in verse 28. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, how does, how does Peter know what he is to do? Craig? God never once actually says it to Peter. He, he, God doesn't talk to him about Gentiles at all here. He talks to him about animals. And yet Peter comes to the conclusion at the end because of what God has shown and implied to him. I don't know if I'm stealing your thunder there at the end. Yeah, no, that you're exactly right. So, you know, this, this, this is something I hadn't picked up on before we started the study. Right, so God communicates with Peter. Um, he showed him the vision. He he does tell him to go with the Gentiles, and then in verse thirty-four, Peter determined, like Craig was saying, Peter determines, comes to a conclusion based on the implication of what he had seen, the vision, and everything that was happening, on what he was to do. Now, what is I guess the the part I hadn't also fully appreciated is the magnitude of what is happening in chapter ten. Right. Without chapter ten, we're not a part of the we're not a part of the kingdom. Right. We are not in Christ without chapter ten. So for I shouldn't say, as far as I know, we are all Gentiles in this con- in this in this group here. So, uh, but we are not a part of God's family without chapter ten. And it just was impressive to me that God uses implication or necessary inference these visions for, for Peter to come to the conclusion, he could have just said, Peter, you need to go see Cornelius and you need to baptize him. Gentiles are, they're in. And he doesn't do any of that. He, he sets it up. He shows him the vision. And then in, in Acts 15, 11 verses 15 through 18, as I began to speak, Peter's recalling what has happened. Um, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I, that, that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so we just, we see the, the, the inference, the, the conclusions that Peter uh, draws from this. And it just, again, is impactful to me that one of the, one of the foundational texts uh, in all of the New Testament, God uses implication in order to communicate that uh, to us. Let me pause here to see if there's any, any comments or questions on that. Oh, well, we'll, we'll go with uh, back then, then with Robin, you'll be next. So I have been in uh, multiple situations where a teacher or a mentor 
uh, could have just told me the answer or told me what to do. And I've been very frustrated at different times when they have forced me to work it out myself. Mm -hmm. But it struck me as you were talking about this, how much more impactful the lesson is when I come to the conclusion myself. 100%. And, oh, now I really get it. And so I don't know, but maybe there was a reason God was using inference here in making Peter come to that conclusion himself in some ways. Right. And I think I agree. And Robin, we'll, we'll get Robin next. Robin, raise your hand so Craig can see. There you go. Thank you. But in 10 verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision had, he had seen might mean. So we see Peter's wrestling with this as well. And I think it goes to Mindy's point there. Um, yes, Robin. It's pretty much what Mindy was saying, except that today in education, that method of teaching is um, highly encouraged and is also found to be very effective. That you lead the learner with um, experiences or information, but you don't tell them what it is. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get them the light bulb to go on for. Because when the light bulb goes on in their brain themselves, that's a much stronger memory and a, a much stronger learning and more permanent learning than if someone tells you. Absolutely. It's like they've got ownership of that knowledge then that, that they have. Tommy? Well, another passage that to me is a really powerful illustration of this means of teaching is in Matthew 22, beginning with verse 23, when the Sadducees were questioning Jesus mm -hmm. about the resurrection, and they come with the case of the man who has died without a child, and, and his brother takes his wife, and they go through seven brothers. And to them, that disproves the resurrection. And Jesus' argument to prove the resurrection is fascinating there. Because he says in Matthew 22, verse 31, regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, spoken to you by God, excuse me, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Mm-hmm. He just draws on that statement that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the fact that God is the God of the living implies Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are living. And, to, and Jesus says, establishes the truth of resurrection. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't just directly say it. Right. He, he, he implies it. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, go ahead, Todd. Sorry, Todd, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, I didn't. I, and he implies it, and the crowd infers it. I mean, even at one point, the Pharisees said, I think it's in Luke 20, they said, you've answered well. The right. Pharisees didn't compliment him often. Right. So. Yeah, and, and so when we think about, okay, so why do we need to spend so much time on, on this? Well, first of all, I think it's informative to all Bible study, right? But secondly, I think this is where we get we diverge or others diverge maybe in some of these social issues when we apply it to our context today, they're not drawing conclusions. Maybe, maybe we're not familiar enough with passages in the whole counsel of God to be able to 
understand everything God is saying on a subject and then applying it. I don't know if that, that makes sense, Brian. Yeah, and what's really powerful to me about this example is that it really strikes right at the heart of the gospel, that mm-hmm. all along uh, God planned this kingdom to, to start with the Jews, but to fill the entire earth. So, you know, as Peter is mulling over this, you know, unclean animal thing, he's probably thinking about all the other laws that were meant to teach them something about the, the restricted nature of the covenant, that uh, there are uh, good foods and there are bad foods. There are uh, things that you're allowed to touch and things that you can't. But then when he started to see Jesus break these down, declare all foods clean, he touched lepers, and now he's starting to see this borne out in the fuller picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have been really powerful for Peter. And I think that was a, a great way to show him that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, you know, I, I think I referenced Galatians five nineteen through 21. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I just want to talk about like the, this, this, this concept of implication is kind of baked into scriptures all over the place, right? Uh, we have the, the works of the flesh. There's some listed. There, this isn't an exhaustive list. There are things like these that we need to stay away from. On the same, on this other side of the same coin, though, the fruit of the Spirit, he lists those out. There are other things such things like this, there is no law. There's freedoms. So we need to be, you know, we, we have the ability, uh, the expectation to take these works of the flesh and the fruits of the spirits and apply them to our own context, but not just be very prescriptive in, in you know, checking these things off. There's other things um, uh, to consider as we think about how we should behave and how we shouldn't behave. And then in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, before we move on uh, to the kind of the next point is um, the getting back to sometimes we need to wrestle with the scriptures um, and the, we, we mine for, um, for the jewels that are in it. Um, here the Hebrew writer says, for, this, for, the, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the work of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish from good and evil." And so, again, just this idea that we need to apply ourselves to the word, and it is not something that we're going to get all the answers at the, you know, the first time we read it, but we need to work at it. Uh, we need to investigate it. We need to, to, to mine it. Um, uh, and this kind of goes back to what, uh, what I said earlier, Ephesians 4, about us striving for the unity of faith, something that we work on together, not just uh, separately, um, there is a, a sermon from Andy Cantrell, uh, the, the two types of unity, and he talks about those from the context of Ephesians 14. This kind of goes back to our first class, but I just want to put a plug on that. Uh, I think that it was super helpful for me to reflect upon that, um, and I would encourage you to, uh, to look at that. All right, we are going to move on to the next point. Any comments or questions before we do that? Yes, Deborah. I think I'm trying to figure out, like, I appreciate and love the idea of the, the learning and not straight up telling, but I'm trying to decide um, how in Acts 10, how is that 
inference, I think is what I'm trying to figure out. Because it seems like when it was such a big deal, God didn't just leave it for him to figure out the vision. Like then the spirit did talk to him. So I think I'm, maybe I'm just a little bit confused because I'm just trying to think about, okay, now how does this apply? So is our message that we just need to know more scripture in order to apply? You, you, do you know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. it sounds like it was like kind of a big deal and he didn't just leave it for Peter just to figure it out. Like he lined it up pretty beautifully because it is such a big deal as other people are mentioning. So I, I'm just trying to clear that yeah. in my own mind, I think. No, I, I can answer. Anne, did you have a comment on that or something else? Well, I was just thinking how it was such um, a watershed moment that he used all three kinds of communication back and forth repeatedly. He, mm-hmm. they each, um, he showed each of the main parties a vision, and then, um, you know, God, the Spirit spoke to Peter directly, but then there were still some things he had to um, infer from all of these various events and various other forms of communication. So I had never thought before about how he used all the whole toolbox because this mm-hmm. was such, like you all were saying, such an important um, event. Yeah. Such a change. No, I appreciate that. And I think, I think that's, that's helpful. And again, um, showing how God uses all, all three forms to communicate to us, but our responsibility isn't just to uh, read. And, and if we see a command, we, we mark that command down and we, we follow that command, but we are looking at all of what God says. Um, some of those things are very on the surface, you know, we should not, you know, we should not commit adultery. We should not commit murder. And those are, those are good things for us to not do. But there's also certain things that, um, I guess the nature of Bible study being inductive and not such that we can just go to read it like a manual. Um, we need to consider, we, we need to consider what God is saying. We're, we need to consider what God is showing us. And then also the kind of the conclusions that we should be drawing from Scripture. And so, um, you know, when we think about, uh, you know, church finances, um, um, I was trying to think of a good example off the top of my head. I'm, I'm blanking on that right now, but um, maybe we'll come back to it if I, I get smart here in a few minutes. Deborah, was that helpful? Okay. Chris. Yeah, it appears that Peter used what knowledge he had from God. He used the gospel, the things he had heard from Jesus, mm-hmm. to make those inferences. I mean, we could put something up or say something, and if there's no context or no background, then you could go anywhere with that. Mm-hmm. So I think that is one thing that's going to guide us in those inferences, which is what guided Peter. He was a little hesitant. He was resistant, but he's like, well, I can't deny it. And, and I remember what Jesus has said about these things. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's starting to make sense from that gospel, that life, death, resurrection of Jesus and that message of God himself applied is what is the way we infer things from, mm-hmm. from God's word. I was just going to say in answer to Deborah's question. Four verses that specifically are drawn, inferences are drawn from in 10 and 11. In 1028, 1034 and 35, 1047, and 1118. 
in those passages, 1028, 1034 and 35, 1075, 10, excuse me, 1047 and 1118, those are all conclusions that are drawn that haven't been specifically stated that are implied. And mm-hmm. The question is, again, are they necessary? In some cases, yeah. that's an abuse, mm-hmm. but all these are necessary and correct in those verses. Right. And, the, the, you know, there, are, there might be some things that we consider, some would consider an implication, others wouldn't, where the abuse is, we're, there's a sharp divergence also. So I think that's one of the things that we want to consider when we're, is this a conclusion that we should be drawn based on the context of the passage, as well as it needs to be in harmony with other scriptures as well. Um, and I, I, I feel a close kinship between the show it or the example and the implication, because when we see um, examples, I think it's going to get into um, the next point. Let's, let's look at um, Acts 20, verses 7 and 8. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn over there. I'm sure, I'm sure you're not there. Um, but turn over there. But there, we're going to read uh, a couple of verses about what a, an early church did and what conclusions can we and can't we, can we not draw from this passage. And um, I will go ahead and read verses 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 7 and 8. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to part, depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and I'm going to read verse 9, and, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting in a window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer, and being overcome by sleep, he fell from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking by his arms, uh, Paul raises him from the dead. So we'll stop there. So um, I think I asked in the email, what are conclusions that we can draw from this text? And what are some conclusions maybe that we can't draw from this text? John? Well, in verse uh, 6 that you didn't read, they had been there seven days. And yet it says in verse 7 that it was on the first day of the week that they, that they uh, broke bread. I, I understand that breaking of bread to represent what we did this morning together. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they, he notes that they did it on the first day of the week, even though they'd already been there, you know, seven days says to me, this is when, out of those days, they did this activity together. And I conclude they didn't do it on the other days because mm-hmm. he highlights it the way he did. Okay. So we look at this, and uh, we, we see that they did it on the first day of the week. They had been there several days, but this is the week uh, that they gathered together um, uh, to break bread, and we understand that it be the Lord's Supper. Um, so... This is one of the texts that we go to for why we have the Lord's Supper on Sunday. Uh, what other conclusions um, may we or may we not draw from this text? Rissa? Yep. When you keep reading and you get down to 11, which seems to be after midnight, 
he said he'd gone back up and broke bread and eaten. He talked with them a long while until daybreak. So, was it? I'm just asking. Yeah. You know, is that? I don't know. Sounds to me like it happened after midnight, which moves it to not the first day of the week again. Is that so, wrong? So, so the Gary um, or. So, so the question being, um, are the breaking of bread in 11 and in verse 7, are those the same? And so then, is this a place where we go to to say that they did the Lord's Supper on, on Tuesday? Did you have an, a, a response to that or a I was comment? Just basically going to say the same thing, that the term breaking of bread is used both for a common meal and for the Lord's Supper. It just has to be denoted as to the context of which of how it's used. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when it's used as a common meal, the term their, their bread or in their house is used. Whereas when it's used in the context of the breaking of the bread for the Lord's Supper, it's just used plainly as breaking of bread. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think here in, in this context it's used, they came together to break bread. That was to worship. We as individuals, when we come together, we form the body. So that is part of the worship service, whereas later on, after this incident happened with this young man and, and Paul renders aid to him, then they broke bread. They, they were like, oh, okay, everything's good. Let's, let's have something to eat and settle down. Mm -hmm. Anne-Marie? So when we use midnight as a change of day, we're putting our culture on that. Um, the change of day is different in the Jewish culture, and maybe Craig can say whether it's sunset or... Oh, that's a Tommy question for sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tommy, we got a question for you. I know I think you were looking at another scripture. Or... Well, Jewish days, there seems to be a practice of it starting at evening. Mm -hmm. And you, there's a reference in, I think it is Leviticus 23, 27. Let me see. Okay. No, that's not it. Um, Leviticus, it may be Leviticus 16. It's in, the, it's in the context of the Day of Atonement. And it mentions from evening to evening. And it is also in the, con and, and so it may be Leviticus 16. But this is, this is a difficulty with that. I don't know that this is a situation with a Jewish context. And uh, so I don't know. I do think a Jewish day began, they counted that from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and I'll find the verse in just a second. I'm sorry. But... Um, but this, I don't know if in Acts 20, this is a Gentile. Uh, it seems like to me it's more of a Gentile setting than it is a Jewish setting. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know, you know, how that would have worked in that situation. It is the same phrase in verse 7 
in verse 11, except verse 11 has an article and before bread where verse 7 does not. But um, I, I know that, that it is in close proximity. Um, it could be both the Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. uh, but to me, it kind of, it, it seems like to me clearer in Acts 2.42 mm -hmm. that breaking of bread is the Lord's Supper and Acts 2.46 is a common meal. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that that's the way it's used here. But it is the same phrase. It is the same phrase in both passages. Yeah. Um, Anne-Marie? Oh, sorry. So the Roman um, days were counted similar to what we do, like legally, the day started at midnight, mm -hmm. but that's not how they spoke, and neither do we. Um, and so I don't know if that adds or subtracts from what we're talking about, but again, it depends on the culture. And I think that the, it would have been similar in how you call evening, but whether where you business-wise call the end mm -hmm. of the day may have been midnight for the Romans. Yes. Um, I guess not really discussing time so much except in verse 7. Um, I guess what we see, we don't necessarily, um, we can necessarily imply maybe <laughs> that Tommy doesn't have to preach until midnight because right. it says he prolonged the message until midnight mm -hmm. because he knew uh, he was going to be going. So he was giving them as much as he could be knew, knowing that he was going to be leaving and he wouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess I just see the the time limit isn't set, how long you have to right. preach, except um, what people would be willing to listen to. And he kind of capped it at, uh, at what time he thought he could at least get some rest, mm -hmm. but it doesn't look like he got any rest anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, so, so the takeaway from, uh, uh, for us, right, we look, we look at this example and Regardless if 11 is a common meal or if the Lord's Supper, what we know, what we've concluded, what we can conclude is that their intention on the first day of the week was, was to, to partake of the Lord's Supper, right? Uh, we also know when we think about other passages, just the, like in, in, in Revelation 1 and 10, you know, John references being in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Um, which we would understand to be Sunday. Um, Jesus' resurrection, the day of Pentecost. Sundays seemed to be a time that was for the early church as a time where they got together. And then in, in you know, along with uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and uh, Acts 20, they got together, well, in 1 Corinthians 16, 1, on the, on the first day of the week when you gather together, that's when they took the Lord's Supper. Now, if we are in a situation where we gather together this morning and Tommy goes, uh, I'm preaching the sermon first, and then he goes and to 12.01 a.m., you know, that would be a decision I think that we would need to make in terms of do we partake of the Lord's Supper because uh, it's technically Monday, but we gather together on the first week, right? So that's, I think it's kind of a, like a, you know, an outrageous type of scenario that we find ourselves in on, in that. Um, but I do think we can look at these examples and we can make conclusions that um, the early church 
intended to take the break bread on the first day of the week, and and that's something that we can do together uh, on the first day of the week. Also, we can we can pull that mine that out from scriptures. Um, Tommy just wanted to clarify: uh, was it Leviticus twenty three thirty two in regards to evening to evening on the Sabbath day? Oh, okay. So it sounds like what we're saying. As I mentioned earlier, we have to infer a lot of things regardless whether it's an example or an inference or a command. Mm-hmm. There's always some inference from that. So we're inferring that it was to break bread. We're inferring that it was the Lord's Supper. Uh, In either one or both, we have to infer that because correct. it does not say that. Correct. Um, it could be. I mean, if you wanted to read this. Uh, you know, on the second day of the week when they gathered together to break bread, they did this. But on this, on the first day of the week when they gathered together to break bread, this is what they did. It could be that they gathered every day. We infer that this is the only time. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or 16 and verse 1, does not mention the Lord's Supper. This is the only passage mm-hmm. at all that mentions the Lord's So, you know... We are inferring things in there. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing it on the first day of the week. I just want to make it clear how, how we're getting there, and we have to make a judgment on those things. Yep. Yeah, uh, we, absolutely. We have to use discernment. We have to use wisdom. Um, we have to use this verse in connection with other verses. And then we, we need to make sure that we need to, you know, is this a reasonable conclusion that we should draw from, these pa- from all of these passages or these reasonable inferences? And I think when we look at the totality of God's word, um, all of those verses that we talk to, um, I think we all are in agreement. That's pretty safe, safe conclusion that we are pleasing to God when on Sunday we gather together together for the purpose of taking the Lord's Supper. Amory? Ancient Roman times started at sunrise was the first hour. Okay. So I just wanted to correct what I had said. All right. We got lots of them. We'll go Josh, Zeb, and then John. So this is this is maybe a, a thought question about the context. Um, we started this reading with, on the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. My question is, did they assemble and accomplish eating on that first day? If they did, then whether or not they crossed the midnight barrier doesn't really matter because they did it on the first day of the week. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. So I am just a, a little curious as to like what what is the thought process behind um, making the inference that breaking bread means the Lord's Supper. And the only reason I ask that is, is just because, like, I, I think about 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul is actually talking about the way that they are not taking the Lord's Supper the correct way. And in that passage, he calls it the Lord's Supper. Um, so I was just curious if, like, what, what is the logical reasoning behind why we've chosen to take that term, breaking bread, as meaning the Lord's Supper in this verse, and then, like, in Acts 2:46 meaning something completely different. Yeah, so that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a valid question, right? And so when we are th- 
you know, we, we know we need to take the Lord's Supper, right? We are commanded to come together to take the Lord's Supper. Um, re, when, when the writers in Acts specify a day and an activity together, that does seem to be cause for more emphasis or scrutiny, not maybe scrutiny, but why is this day and this activity being emphasized? And so I, th- I think, you know, from my perspective, and I'd definitely like to hear from others on this, is um, when this is being singled out amongst the several days that they are together, like John said, um, it seems to be a little bit, it seems to me to not be common meal, but a activity that they did together um, that is also ascribed to the Lord's Supper, right? Um, Again, that in connection with, we know we are to come together to take the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians, um, just the totality of that. I don't know if I said that very well, Tommy, if you got... In 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24, uh, it said Jesus took bread, same term for Mm -hmm. bread used here. And the next verse says, he broke the bread and said, he broke it and said, Mm -hmm. same word used for broken in uh, Acts 27. Mm-hmm. So it, it does use that same terminology in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, one of the other terms, the Lord's Supper, um, it says too, when he had given thanks. The reason that one religious group calls it the Eucharist is because that is the Greek word for giving thanks there. Mm-hmm. But it's just, there's several different terms to apply to it there in 1 Corinthians 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the, you know, this is the first day of the week, them gathering together, you know, the signifies worship, um, you know, corporate worship. Um, would also lend to, I think, they in, in 1 Corinthians 11, they were chastised in that context for just having a common meal together. Again, this seems to be more more special um, work of that group together. Josh and then Ryan. Yeah, you kind of took my comment. Um, and yeah, pretty much any time that I've read in Acts, and maybe I need to read more, but um, the sense I get is any time it says that the disciples assembled or we assembled or they assembled, it's for some spiritual purpose. It's not just for a social activity. Mm-hmm. So. I think it's natural, at least for me, to, when I see assembled, well, if breaking bread is next, it's probably the spiritual version of that and not something else. Mm-hmm. Fair point. If, yes, if, if I break from this and, and use another example from Acts 20, in, in verse 8, they, uh, they did all this when they were gathered in an upper room. Mm-hmm. Now, I have never read that and concluded that we're mis, misapplying uh, our gathering here in a lower room uh, as not being scriptural. Right. So, you know, there's, there's another. We, we read the text, and here we see their example is that one that we latch hold on and, and say we need to follow that. And uh, so that, that would be one here that I, I don't draw a conclusion that uh, we're to follow that example. Right, um, and we we wouldn't. Um, w- one of the reasons why is because it's not in harmony with all of God's word. When Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, you know he 
very specifically talks about the location of worship not being, not, not being a factor, right? Um, and there's also just a natural reading of the, of the verse that just does not seem reasonable to, I think, any of us that um, we, should, we should be going upstairs. Uh, Ryan or Mike? So this kind of leads into my question about example in general, getting mm-hmm. away from Acts 20 necessarily. Um, because it seems to me where we say that an example, you know, we always want to use the term approved apostolic example, and an approved apostolic example is binding. But yet, like John just mentioned, there are certain things within that example that we want to pick and choose and say, well, this really doesn't bind, and this doesn't bind, but this does. Mm-hmm. And I think we do that in life. I don't know of any example, unless I'm told by someone that this is the only way you can do this, watch me. An example is always, this is a way that you can get to this end result. So if, I, um, if I'm showing Kellen how to change oil in, in a car, and I say, Kellen, we need to drive this up on, 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 on stands, we need to uh, drain the oil, and Mitch says, Kellen, I'm going to show you how to drain the, or how to change the oil in a car. And he says, we're going to jack it up on jack stands instead of ramps. And we're going to, we're going to take the oil filler cap off first. The examples are different, but yet the end result is the same. And so I, I struggle with the way that we seem to parse out certain parts of examples and say, this is absolutely 100% binding Instead of maybe looking at the example that I've come to think of these examples as they're pointing to the principle, they're pointing to the end result. We have liberties, we have freedoms, and within the example, within the example we see where God wants us to get to, but yet we have some liberties and freedoms to do things a little different um, because we don't follow any example 100%. Baptism, the same way. We have two literal examples. We have commands, yes, but we have two literal examples of baptism. They both indicate that the baptizer was in the water with the person being baptized. We don't follow that example. We've got a baptistry right here that, you know, that we don't, don't have the baptizer in with the water. The waters on all the examples were natural waters. We have oxygenated water mm. in a baptistry. So there are parts of the example that we don't follow, but we say baptism, that's the end result. How do we get to it? And we're okay there. Mm-hmm. But it seems like sometimes we're not okay there. And I don't know why we see the examples differently from one to another a lot of times. No, that's a, that's a fair point. And so I think we're going to get into some of that, um, hopefully later on in this, in this study. Um, so, so what are some of those things that we need to consider when we say that this is an example that we should try to emulate, right? Um, so we, we need to look at the context of the passage and to see the importance of that within, you know, within the context. And, and so it, it does seem like in Acts 20, on the first day of the week, gather together the break bread, um, that does seem to be central to, uh, to what's... Uh, to the passage. That seems something that we need to grasp onto. That along with other scriptures that show um, Christians gathered together on the first day of the week. Uh, that was a special day for the Lord. Uh, it was referred to as the Lord's Day. Like so all of that, right? Harmony with other scriptures. Um, and I think that's where we would say like the upper room um, is uh, you, you know, uh, there to describe why Eutychus died. If they were on the first floor, then it wouldn't really make sense that Eutychus died. Um, 
right, that we would say that's an ancillary type of detail that is pertinent to the story, but not necessarily something that we should take away. Um, I think part of what you're going to, we're thinking also is when we talk about specific command and general command, those, we react to those commands very differently. And I think we'll, we'll talk about that here in just a second. Uh, Brian. Yeah, and I think another layer of interpretation that we have to acknowledge that we always have is, well, why are these things being written where mm-hmm. they're written? Um, is, you know, the Holy Spirit through Luke writing about this event on the first day to establish a, an, uh, a timeless pattern of meaning on the first day? Or is he just talking about that guy who died during Paul's sermon because it was a noteworthy part of the story uh, in, in the, the book of Acts? Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate that. Um, Yes. Um, I, I think it's really interesting when you think about, like, what's a thing that we can talk about that there's no controversy? Anybody? I mean, but I think the point is, and the thing that we're seeing today, just talking about something that seems pretty straightforward to a lot of us, mm-hmm. is the whole reason that we're told to keep studying is because there's more to study and we're all going to be on different pages we're coming from different backgrounds even in the same culture we're coming from different backgrounds and different understandings and different abilities to understand and speaking different languages and we need to make sure and give room for each other to be in those different positions and realize that part of the beautiful way that God created the church was that we can challenge each other, but we have to give each other space to do that. And I think today's just talking about the Lord's Supper and gathering and how I think that just proves and maybe should be a grand reminder that we're all trying to figure this out and we all need to try to figure this out together and we all need to give each other space to figure it out and get to the conclusion without rubbing each other raw and pushing each other away. I think that's a really good reminder, right? Our attitude towards one another, towards the word. Um, We want to be pleasing to to the Lord, right? And, you know, can we draw the conclusion? um, I really did not intend to spend this much time on this this text. Um, But can we draw a conclusion that God is pleased when we think about Acts 20, uh, when we think about 1 Corinthians 16, when we talk about 1 Corinthians 11, um, that God is pleased when his people gather together on the first day of the week to break bread. So I, I think we can say, we, I, th- I hope we can all agree to that. Um, is it appropriate for us to do it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? Um, I think we're going to hopefully address some things a little bit later on in the study today that are going to help us understand if that we should be comfortable with that or not, right? If that we would say is authorized or not. And so I think this is, this is good for us to wrestle with this and, and, and talk through this. Um, let, let's move on. Um, so I just, again, God communicates us. He tells us, he shows us things. He implies God's part of communication is perfect and it is complete. Um, and so we need to put in the effort and the time and the diligence uh, to mine for those things, the things that we need to apply to our lives. All right, um, two types of commands. 
uh, general and specific. So the, the tell us part, uh, God tells us things. Some things he tells us very generally. Some things he tells us very specifically. I think I might have used this uh, illustration uh, last time. If I send Cole into the store and tell him to buy bread, he is at liberty to buy any bread that he wants. If I just say buy bread. Um, if he's buying, if I need him to buy bread for his mother, I am going to say, you need to buy gluten-free bread. Um, and probably tell him exactly where in the story he needs to, to get that. Um, and so when we think about commands, general and specific, general is, when we have general commands in, the, in, in Scripture, we have the, the expectation that we will use wisdom and discernment in making the best decision possible. And when we think about specific commands, then by nature, specific commands are exclusive or exclusionary. Other options are out of bounds and unlawful. So when we think about Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I think this passage has both general and specific commands. Uh, what are those commands, and are they general or specific? Josh. The first word, go. Go, right. It's specific in that they need to move, like they actually need to do the thing, but it's extremely general. Mm -hmm. Go by any means that it would be lawful according to other things, you know. So walking, they don't have cars, but we do. So if we were doing that, we'd, we'd probably drive. Absolutely. So go, go being a general command where we can use wisdom and discernment in order to uh, fulfill that command. What would be a specific command in this text? Craig? Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, we've been reading with the kids through Acts, and I believe it's Acts 18. They found some people in Ephesus who had been baptized in John. Mm -hmm. And Paul had to correct them and say, that's, that, that's not the gospel, here's a more fuller understanding. So it, it needs to be done specifically in Christ's name. Yeah, absolutely. So I've highlighted a few things. Go, general command, making disciples. Like we're not making friends of Jesus. We're not, this isn't just a, a club. We are to make disciples, uh, followers of, of Jesus, of, of all nations. This is going to go to, to everybody. But at the same time, that's more, so what order or what, you know, what nation should we do first or things like that. The disciples, like, um, they're going to get some more instruction in Acts. Um, but um, the more, more general, baptizing, as uh, Craig had said, is very specific. Uh, baptizing, we would say that uh, that would be different than sprinkling. Uh, kind of going back to, to Mike's point um, earlier about baptism, why do we, why do we immerse? Um, part of what uh, the definition of, of baptizing or what that implies in the, the nature of the word, but also some of those other examples. Uh, teaching them to observe everything that's very specific. We are to teach the whole counsel of God to follow all of it. And so um, what we see is with general commands, it allows for wisdom and discernment. Um, specific is exclusive by nature, and it expects adherence and compliance. 
And so when we are reading through God's word and we're seeing some things uh, that we, that are calling us to act or to behave or to, to do something, we need to accurately understand, is this something that is generally uh, telling me to do something in which I can, um, you know, I have some liberties to execute that in in, in the ways that I, I want, uh, or I think is best, excuse me, um, or is this specific and I really need to be um, adherent and compliant with the commandment? Josh, I think you have a comment. Could you go back a slide? Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, to connect this with the previous discussion, I, th I think it can be easy, and I'm guilty of this, to approach this, approach studies in a, a very clinical manner, right? Mm -hmm. Looking at those words, I see some of them as general and some of them as specific, but also some of them as, I'm not sure. So like, go therefore make disciples of all nations. Does that literally mean all nations? Every single one that existed at that time? I think that's ultimately the goal like some of us have been talking about. But did that mean that each disciple had to individually go to every single nation that existed at that time. I'm not sure. The, my gut says no, but the point of him saying that is this needs to go everywhere. Mm -hmm. Everyone who lives needs to hear this, um, but it's wrapped into this phrase, all nations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So another comment. Okay. No, I appreciate that. And so we, again, wisdom and discernment in uh, understanding what is the message that is being said. Um, and to the best of our ability then understanding, again, the liberties that we have either to execute that in a way we think is best or direct commands that baptism um, is necessary. Uh, we, we follow that uh, to the best of our ability to a T. Now we'll talk a little bit more um, if I can remember about the, the water and the things like that, that you bring up that, you know, certainly we need to ask the question, we need to answer the question, right? All right. Um, going through some of this pretty fast, um, I'd like your feedback if, if we need to revisit some of this before we, we move on. But I do want to talk about expedience, right? Um, what is an expedient? Um, so a, one definition is characterized by suitability, practicability, practicality, and efficiency in achieving a particular end, fit, proper, or advantageous under the circumstances. So, but what do we mean when we talk about um, something being expedient in the context of, uh, in a biblical context? This was not on the email. John? I would, I would put that under the realm of uh, something that is practical, suitable for carrying out the needs to assemble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there are certain things that God has told us to do, one of those being assemble. And so when we think about expedience, or those things that are, that are expedient, they expedite, or they help us carry out those things that God has told us to do. I think I'll get that on the next slide. So um, an expedient facilitates the accomplishment of God's will and is in harmony with his word. So this building 
Um, many would agree that it's an expedient. We've been, we've been commanded to come together to assemble. How do we do that? Um, that is a general command at which we can apply our own wisdom and discernment and say, how do we, what's the best way to carry out that command? Well, to have a building is one way uh, to do that. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that um, later on. So I don't, we don't want another Lord's Supper discussion on that right now. Uh, but we'll, we'll uh, but that, that is an example, right? Um, uh, the chairs that we are sitting in, right? The, the class materials that we use, the songbooks that we sing facilitate us accomplishing a commandment that God has given us, right? So when we talk about expedience, that's what we're talking about. And so there are some conditions, though, for, for expedience. Not ever, we can't just argue everything is um, facilitating us executing God's purpose. There are some abuses that come along with uh, this idea of expedience. So we do need to think, is, this, is something expedient or is it unauthorized? And so when we think about our building, when we think about our songbooks, our class materials, you know, the things that we spend our money on, um, we need to make the judgment, uh, use wisdom and discernment, or is this really an expedient or is it something that's, that's unauthorized and out of bounds? And so when we think about the conditions of, um, of uh, expedience is that it must be lawful. And so whatever is in context must be, uh, must be lawful. So the question of authority must be s- settled by direct command, example, or necessary inference. And so um, us assembling together as, as Christians, um, I think it's safe to say that we feel that that is a, an authorized activity for us to do. And so then how do we accomplish that uh, authorized activity? Um, Something that, let's just say that um, I think we would all agree that a congregational trip to Hawaii uh, would probably not be authorized. I think we agree with that. And so considering the expedience of taking a plane versus a cruise ship, right, is, is, is out of bounds. And that's, that, again, that's a ridiculous example. But that's what we, some of those things that we think about from an expedience standpoint is the context in question must be uh, authorized by uh, what we've already talked about. Um, And it cannot be a specified command. And so the idea of bat immersion, an expedient might be sprinkling water on someone, right? Um, But we have a specific command about how we join God's family. It's through baptism. And so uh, sprinkling, we would, we would say, is not an expedient. That is, that is not authorized, right? Um, because we have that specific command. And then secondly, thinking of in terms of uh, 1 Corinthians 10, um, verse 23. I don't think I have that uh, passage on the next slide. I'll just read it. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And so when we think about the... The, when we've been commanded a thing uh, to do a thing, um, and we have discretion to use our wisdom and discernment in executing that thing, it must be edifying. And so we we came together this morning to take the Lord's Supper. Um, the the time that we do that is an expedient. It's you know we we meet together at ten thirty for worship, and. 
we could decide as an expedient that 5 a.m. is the time we take the Lord's Supper. That would not be edifying to me. Uh, for I would do it, but I think we'd all say that's not an edif- that's not edifying for us. Like we we want to we want to sleep sleep a little bit. We want to come rested and refreshed and all, all that things, all of those things. So it can't be a specified command. We got Noah in the ark with the gopher wood. Uh, that was very specific. Um, the tabernacle temple instructions were very specific, and I'm sorry, I'm going back. I just wanted to make sure I called this out. Very specific instructions and patterns that God uh, gave to his people, they could not claim expedient um, expedience by doing something that violated that direct command. Sorry, I went out of order there. Um, So this might be controversial, but I hope you will allow me this. But the Lord's Supper, um, we, we have the authority in Acts 20 and verse 7, Matthew 26, 1 Corinthians 11, to come together, to break bread, to partake of the Lord's, uh, Lord's Supper. We, there's, there's a part of that that is a, a specified command uh, the first day of the week. And I'm taking that from the Revelation 1, uh, the Lord's Day, the importance of the Lord's Day. So just um, bear with me on that. The, we have the, the bread and the fruit of the vine. This is, you know, specif- so, so Coca-Cola and, and ham is not appropriate for us to take on the Lord's Supper because of a specific uh, command. And expedience would be we do um, in the morning on Sunday. Uh, do we do homemade or prepackaged, right? We use wisdom and discernment in what is an edifying and a good way for us to do that. Do we do it before Bible class or after Bible class or before the sermon or after the sermon? Those are decisions um, we have the discretion for. What is unlawful is the Coke and the ham and a time and a manner that's, that's not edifying, right? Um, if we were to, you know, play rock music while partaking of the Lord's Supper, we, would, we could say, okay, that's not an expedient because it's not edifying, among other issues with that uh, analogy. Questions or comments? Yes, Gary. For an expediency, I think about uh, singing. God told us to sing and make melody with our hearts, Ephesians mm-hmm. and Colossians. We use a pitch pipe as an expediency to help get the song started, hopefully on the right mm-hmm. pitch. Yep. But at the same time, if we were to add a piano to that mix, that's not an expediency. Now that's a- adding to what God told us to do in reference to singing. And even as far as the pitch pipe goes, I heard of an instance where a man came to worship and he questioned why they were using the pitch pipe and didn't think that that was right. And they not wanting to offend the man and give him time to grow and to understand. He said, no, no worry, sir. We'll, we'll do without the pitch pipe for now. And then, you know, so it's, it's an expedient thing, but it, it's not to say, well, we have the right to use it. We're going to use it. And you're just going to mm-hmm. accept it. You know, they, they bent, bent yep. that a little bit to accommodate this guy until he can grow to understand better. No, I appreciate you bringing that up because there is a conscience aspect that needs not be violated when we have these expedients. I didn't include that. Um, but certainly, certainly is important. Um, real, uh, Leanne, I'll get you in a second. Ed Harrell breaks it down uh, as such that we've, we've commanded, been commanded to do a thing. Um, we have the uh, ability with expedience to execute that 
uh, thing in the best way we know how without changing that thing. And I think that's, he would argue that that's where the instrumental music comes in versus the pitch pipe. The pitch pipe facilitates us doing that thing that we've been commanded to do. When we add in the instruments, it changes the thing that we've been commanded to do and as an argument against instrumental music, among other things. But um, uh, that's one way to think about it. Leon. I think the danger is assuming these expediencies that everyone would make the same conclusion. I would personally say my goal is for us to not assume each other's conclusions. Um, I know for a fact there are people who, um, not in our congregation that I know of, but who feel it's necessary to break the bread after the prayer, and it would be sinful not to. There are so many places you can fall on these mm-hmm. decisions, like his pitch pipe comment. Yeah. I mean, it's not where I would fall on it. And it's just, um, I just, I'm not arguing with the fact that there are expediencies, but the fact that we can never assume that we would all reach the same conclusion on any expediency. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a good point. And so that's part of um, being completely humble, completely gentle, bearing with one another in love and trying to promote the, um, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, right? That's, we need to have these, we need to be very considerate of one another, 100%. Yes. So uh, tying into what Leanne just said, and, and maybe instead of calling them expedience, we could call them freedoms. And I know that scares us sometimes to say that we have freedom, but... I feel like that's what it is. And when we, it seems like if we would call things freedoms and judgment calls, instead of saying um, uh, well, authoritative, then I think things would hit softer on hearts when we would say this is a judgment call and we feel like this is the direction that we want to move with that judgment call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly these are these are areas where discernment and wisdom um, need to, in harmony with Scripture, need to guide our steps. Um, certainly. Um, so that's just a wrap up on experience. I've you know. Uh, we did not get as far as I wanted to get on this. And so I'm, I, I certainly apologize for that. I think it's good for us to work through this and challenge uh, conventional thoughts uh, in light of Scripture. I think these are good things for us to, to talk about. I hope you find, found that, that it was helpful for us to, to wrestle and, and, and go through this. Um, let, me, um, let me just spend a couple of minutes and then as we wrap up. So biblical authority. So everything we need to do, we need to make sure we have biblical authority to do that. And we get that by looking at the scripture and making conclusions about what God tells us to do, what he shows us to do, and the implications of scripture. When we look at what he tells us to do, um, we need to understand though where we have the ability to make judgments or freedoms to implement it in the way that is best versus uh, the way that God specifies and um, understanding that when he specifies it, that it excludes all else and that w- everything else is unauthorized. And then 
under this umbrella of the things that are lawful, there are some things, again, that are specified. There's other things than that we have that, that freedom to make those judgments according to the wisdom and discernment that God's given us. Um, I do want us to, uh, with, I, we need more than two minutes to talk about biblical silence because that is something I think that is really key for us. Uh, so we will begin the next time talking about biblical silence. I do want us to think about what is the difference between something that is an unspecified command and biblical silence. So um, let's use, you know, the building, you know, think about it. Uh, the building is uh, something we've been commanded to assemble. There is no specificity about that. Um, but buildings aren't addressed in, in the Bible, right? So those, that's an example of we need to consider the difference between um, an unspecified command and biblical silence. We need to think about is biblical silence permissive or is it restrictive? If, if the Bible does not address something, does that give us the freedom to make the judgments and um, application as we best see fit? Or um, is the silence of the Bible on something very purposeful that we need to, uh, we would say that that's out of bounds. Let's, we're going to talk about that. Um, we are also going to talk about the purpose of the local church. So be thinking about why does the local church exist um, and the things that we're authorized to do. Uh, and then we'll be in a position to really consider um, those questions. And I added a couple on this last slide. You know, can we, uh, I think the last one, um, when we think about the purpose of the local church, how does it relate to our study of the fi church finances? I want us to be thinking about all those things. I know I said a lot there in like 30 seconds. Uh, I know this is uh, maybe not the most convenient time for us all to get together, particularly those of you with young kids, right? Kids need naps. Uh, parents need naps too. Um, but I just uh, really appreciate you guys coming out, your interest in God's word, your interest in preserving the unity of the spirit. Uh, uh, with this group and the unity of faith. So thank you. And we will conclude our study there today.